following episode of Dave's Video Graveyard contains spoilers and naughty words. Listener discretion is advised. Have you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? It may have been Dave's Video Graveyard. Of all the film podcasts in the world... This is definitely one of them. Covering the best of the worst and the worst of the best of all things film. This is Dave's Video Graveyard with Polly, Casey and Dave. It is Dave's Video Graveyard for another week and as you can hear from the crystal clear echo down the line, it's once again a Zoom Eternal episode we are joined by a very special guest from the other side of this great southern land. We are joined by Ben from Netherworld Arcade Bar and Diner. It is an absolute establishment in Brisbane. And we are joined by perhaps one of the biggest film nerds we've ever had on the show. Ben, how are you? That is a very high honour. Thank you very much. Um, I'm good. I'm, I'm pretty good. Uh, Utilising this isolation time to... Uh, uh, dig deep into the uh, nerd trenches. I really hate, like, when we do this podcast, we try to always not timestamp them because it really ages quickly. Like, you know, when you're listening to a podcast and you're like, oh, this brand new movie that came out last week, and then you're like, that's a 2014 movie. Yeah, and also movies don't come out anymore. So no, that's uh, it. we're done. We're done for movies coming out for at least, let me just look at my uh, non-existent watch on my uh hand uh at least 10 months <laughs> that's it uh we found out this week that we're not getting carnage uh we're not getting venom 2 for an extra year <laughs> oh no i <laughs> know uh, the world has been robbed of another unnecessary marvel film it's quite upsetting make sure i watch venom i haven't watched that one yet <laughs> martin scorsese in his ivory tower right now would be like quite upset he's having a rough day paul marty for anyone that doesn't know you've been living the dream for a few years now there in brisbane you are pretending to be an adult by opening a business but at the same time we all know that you are clearly a man child because tell us about that business um it's it's mostly an excuse to do the things that we like to do which is watch movies play video games and drink a lot of beer and eat absolute shit so we've put all that in one business which is pretty good it's called netherworld it's um in fortitude valley which is the uh uh dodgy part of brisbane the dodgy night nighttime precinct part of brisbane um but we're in an, on the edge of it so you can sort of escape it just a little bit so it's a good place you can sort of um fit about 200 people 250 people in there so it's not small and we've got a full kitchen it's full of kind of, kind of good sort of junky burger food and we've got shitloads of beer uh we like small businesses so we mostly try to uh lean on the small business side of beer in australia good cocktails good everything um and then we are filled with shitloads and shitloads of games so we've got about 15 to 20 pinball machines got about 30 arcade machines including a lot of the classics like point blank and mortal kombat and street fighter and daytona and lots of bullshit um and then we got a bunch of old sort of like 90 crts and we hooked them all up to a mega drive and a master system 2 and a master system 1 and a Nintendo 64 and PlayStation 1, put Tony Hawk on. And basically, you come to the bar, you hang out with your mates, you drink a bunch of piss, you have a good feed, and you play a bunch of games, and you act like an idiot. And it, it's a good time. We get a really, really good crowd, really good community. Been, it's three years old now before um, this time of weirdness, uh, which has forced us to shut uh, for the foreseeable future, but we're making do. 
but it's good. We've utilized that for basically trying to be a really, really inclusive space and trying to be a place where we can sort of like stretch our wings and not just be a place for like nerds or not just be a place for jocks. It's got to be a place for everybody. So we um, do all sorts of different events. Um, one of the things that I'm really passionate about and, and me and a mate of mine called uh, Ben McClay, AKA Thomas Violence on Twitter, uh, Drive is a thing called 2-Bit Movie Club. Uh, so we got our own little film thing happening over there where basically uh, once a month we do a special Monday night screening when we're closed for about 40 or 50 people and we do, do some really, really fun stuff for that. And then once a month we do a Sunday night double feature in the bar while we're operating and we just do trash movies at the back of the bar. And that's really fun. I've got to say, you are so lucky that this Zoom app doesn't have a built-in white hot rage part of the function because I'm sitting here (laughs) talking to a man that's essentially turned all of our childhood rooms into a thriving business. And that's just so much jealousy coming from me. I know you can't tell from my deep, dark olive complexion, but I'm white hot with rage right now. You are joining us this week and we have a bit of a tradition with uh, on DBG. Whenever we have a guest, we have the special quiz, thanks to High Fidelity. We stole it from another local radio show, so that's why it's uh, better written than anything that I've sent to anyone. So we do it with our guests. Unfortunately, last week, we couldn't do it with our guests because they showed up with our personalities. So we're going to get back into it. We're going to get back into it this week. And I will start with beyond the current world that we're in, would you prefer to watch a movie at home or at the cinema? So this one is not even, it's not even close to a choice for me. It's 100% in a cinema. So I, I, without a shred of doubt, can confidently say that probably my favorite place to be in the universe is in a movie cinema. Um, That said, I love being in a movie cinema with next to no people in it. That uh-huh. just, I don't like that on like a small business capacity. Like I want cinemas to be busy so they exist and they continue to operate. But I do love being in a giant fucking empty room watching a movie on a giant screen. If my life flashed before my eyes, I hate to admit that when I was maybe 11 or 12 years old, I went on a Thursday morning to see Face Off and was the only one in the cinema And I know if my life flashes before my eyes, that'll feature heavily because it was one of the greatest days (laughs) ever, ever. 100%. It's only happened less than like a handful of times, like one handful of times. But every time it happens, I feel like I've hit the fucking jackpot, like hit the lottery. I did it. So weirdly enough, two of the times that I can remember were two of the guests for you last uh, couple of weeks ago with my lovely wife, Cara. Uh, We have have been in a movie by ourselves before. And another time I went and saw... uh, Oh God, what was Crimson Peak with Emma Livingston? We wow. went and watched Crimson Peak and we were the only people in the cinema. And that was a wonderful, wonderful time because we could fart and cackle the entire time. Even though I really liked that movie. Does anything stand out as a bad time you've had at the cinema? Like what's the worst memory you have from a cinema? Do you have one? Uh, yeah, yeah. when people are assholes. And I, I can't let it go. I, I get like the uh, publican in me or I used to work in a cinema as well. So I used to be like a duty manager at a cinema. So one of the yeah. jobs was like, you had to go into the You're cinemas and be like, duty. exactly. And when people were being shits or they're being noisy or yelling or throwing popcorn, you'd be like, excuse me, child. I know I'm only four years older than you, but if you don't behave, I'm going to have to evict you from the cinema. Don't push me. I'm a rough and tough 19 year old. So that still comes up a little bit. And I've, I've definitely had a lot of times where uh, someone's been enough of an asshole, but I will walk up to the back of the cinema and be like, shut the fuck up. Or, you know, just leave or whatever. Like, really, really, really uncool shit. But just, like, I think it just overwhelms me. 
I, I need the cinema to be a sacred place. I need it to be a respected place. And if there are people in the cinema not respecting it, being little shits, I'm sorry, but you, the, the cinema is to be respected. It is a holy place. Well, I need to tell you of my biggest cinema trauma just to trigger you right now. Uh, Great. When, I, when me and my wife went to see the second Transformers film, that wasn't the trauma, but we went to see the second one and I'll never forget. And I cannot see a live action Transformer film without flashing back to it. A guy, <laughs> row in, uh, the row in front of us, four over from where I was sitting, had a hot Coles chicken and was eating it with his hands. And wow. that is the most upsetting thing I've ever witnessed. Because <laughs> it, was, it was an attack of all senses and I couldn't even see the screen because my eyes were just steaming up as if I was wearing glasses. I was just so angry at him because uh, you said earlier you're vegan, so it probably wouldn't uh, occur to you as much or maybe it would more. Rotisserie chicken smells 20% like a dirty nappy and 80% like chicken when you get that first whiff of it. And Don't so, get me wrong. I've done my I've done my rotisserie chicken years. I've done my yeah. hard miles. Like I've I've been that guy sitting at a park bench, just pushing his fingers into the middle of the rotisserie chicken and putting it into my mouth and pulling back the skin and just yeah. But you know, just that initial smell. We're like, is that a dirty yeah. nappy or is the best chicken I've ever smelled? I think taking um, any hot food into a cinema is a pretty pretty strong flex. It's not really that cool. It was just the concept of like pulling it apart with his hands and just eating it straight out of the bag. Oh, I've, I'm upset again right now. We're going to have to take a break because I'm upset. I'm so again. sorry. What is your go-to food at the cinema? I'm not a big eater at the cinema. Uh, my wife, Cara, uh, she loves she loves a big bag of popcorn. I usually have a couple of bites, not that into it. What I do love at the cinema is beer. I'm glad that like the, the tune has changed and that most cinemas are pretty much licensed now. But um, what I'd usually do and what my tradition has been for a good 15 years now is, and uh, I'm sure you can respect this as an Adelaidean, a tolly of Cooper's Best Extra Stout. Uh, that is the, the go-to for a movie. I want something that can sit there for an hour, get warm, not a big deal, and just drink that. So, so yeah, and, and it's strong. It's like 6%. So, like, um, yeah, Cooper's, uh, Cooper's Best Extra Stout tolly is definitely my favorite food during a movie. Because Adelaide beer is a lot like pizza, as in it doesn't change quality with the temperature change. Yeah, exactly. Always <laughs> the same quality. Now, if you could only choose one of the following to watch for the rest of your life, would you choose comedy, horror, or drama? That's not even hard. That is horror, 100%. Horror is my wow. spine. It is my backbone. I, I love it more than anything uh, when it comes to books, comics, movies, TV. Horror is number one always, I think. Uh, in terms of like my top five movies, it isn't necessarily populated by horror, but my top 20 would be like 75% horror. You've, you've picked pretty much, I'm not saying there's a right and wrong answer, but by picking horror, you can have a horror that is funny. You can have a horror that's dramatic, whereas they yeah. don't always necessarily cross over in the other formats. So nice. <laughs> the types of horror that I end up loving are definitely like fairly uh, similar. Like, uh, I'm not necessarily into, I don't really enjoy slashes that much. Um, yeah. I don't really love hard hom comedy horror. I don't love trashy horror that much. Uh, but there is this like specific strain of like satirical horror of like social digest sort of horror that has a comedy bone in it, but doesn't present it in a comedic way in any capacity that does it for me so voraciously. What film didn't get a sequel that deserves one? 
Can I answer two questions, two, two answers to this one? No. Yeah. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So first one, first one I'll say is, um, okay. So Con Air is the movie that deserved a sequel. Yes. 100%. Honestly, I think they could still do it. I don't think it would be against the rules of space and time to still do a sequel to Con Air. So one of the events that I'm currently trying to work on, um, which we will do later in the year uh, for uh, the Con Air uh, anniversary on July 14th uh, this year, is we're going to try and get a bunch of comedians to all pitch a sequel to Con Air. Um, And we're going to present this as an event. Um, And we want everyone to go as whole hog as they possibly can. If I were to do a sequel to Con Air, I would set it 40 years in the future. So So it's set in space now. There's a space prison. Nicholas Cage is still the star. Exactly, it's Fortress. Um, yep. And for some reason, all the convicts, and they put all the worst supervillains, minor supervillains, so it's like the same, same thing as uh, Con Air, where there's like one A-grade villain, a couple of B-grade supervillains, and like eight minor D-grade villains. Are we cloning Cyrus or bringing him back via cyborg technology, or is he out of the bid? I think that's I think that's acceptable, but I also think in this particular universe, there's an opportunity to create 700 new supervillains. Like, right. I don't think we need to fall back on Cyrus. Cyrus had his moment, and basically, Con Air is a superhero universe. Uh, Cameron Poe is a superhero. He, he's basically yes. Superman. Yes. Yep. All the villains are basically Batman villains. You know, they're they're they're. Yep. They just don't have the costumes. It's, it's the same setup. It's the same concept. But set it in space. Get them onto like a space thing and they're trying to get back to Earth. Cameron Poe just ends up back on that thing because that's the same old shit. And yeah, I, I would watch that. Please let me direct that movie, to be honest. I, I just, I want to make this movie more the than day anything. This gets, the day this gets greenlit, does John Cusack get a call? Yeah, 100%. Everyone, everyone who didn't die gets gets a paycheck wow, it's important that color. it's important that we don't call this art and that everybody gets a paycheck um the other answer i have to this one is something that almost happened that didn't happen uh was a sequel to who frame roger rabbit um yeah, right. so i think i find this the most fascinating concept in the universe it actually wasn't going to be a sequel it was going to be a prequel but uh, basically, uh, there was going to be uh, it was it was there was a script for it out there somewhere, um, and it was going to be made about five years later. Uh, and it was probably for the best it didn't actually get made. But I still think it was one of the most fascinating things in the world. Uh, it was going to be set during World War Two, during the war with the, the World War Two. Um, and in this version of the universe, uh, basically because tunes couldn't be hurt, they were sending the cartoons to the front line of the war against the Nazis, but they couldn't control them. So they weren't actually getting a lot done because everything was up there to sort of like, and just going in, insanely mental and just fucking it up in the war against the Nazis and Hitler. Uh, so Roger Rabbit uh, was enlisted to try and help because he was at least moderately sane um, to help rally the tune tunes to, to, to fight the Nazis. I think that would have been actually one of the coolest fucking movies in the world. <laughs> I'm instantly picturing the open of Saving Private Ryan, but with tunes. How good would that be, though? <laughs> I'm on board. You've just sold a ticket. The next question I have, who would play you in a biopic? Which one of the Hemsworth are you picking? It's Paul Giamatti going back in time. <laughs> no, I, no. Unfortunately, he's a lot older than I am, so we're going to have to get a younger Paul Giamatti, who I assume has been bold since birth. What about a de-aged Bob Hoskins, much like Grand Moff Tarkin style? 
in Rogue One. Look, I would be honored to be played by Bob Hoskins. Uh, he's definitely one of my heroes in life. Uh, he's a beautiful man. If Bob Hoskins is on the on the on the cards, please, Bob Hoskins. And who would direct? Oh God! <laughs> Throw that one in there. That's a hard one. That's a really really hard one. I want someone 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 gross, someone gnarly. Uh, you want some body horror in there for some reason? Maybe. Cronenberg at the helm. What's the last film that made you cry? Fuck. I'm a good. I'm a. I'm a, I'm a decent crier in movies. I, I cry a lot in movies, especially if I've got a few drinks in me. I'll, I'll cry in a movie. Oh boy. A lot more television than movies lately. Jojo Rabbit was probably the last one that I cried in. That was good. That was that was that was a fucking clencher. That was some. There was a couple of good cry moments in that one. Uh, the tying the shoes was. Yeah, that funny. was the bit. That was the bit. That was definitely yeah. the bit. Good um, movie. If I had to name one that makes me cry, what, what's the movie that makes you cry the most? The one that makes me cry the most, I've only ever seen once, and sometimes when I'm alone with my thoughts, it comes back to me. It's the boy in the striped pajamas. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And sometimes when I'm all on my own, it comes back to me and I have to suddenly do some escapism and start focusing right. on something else. What about you? Big sir? fish. <laughs> Big fish is the one for me. Okay. Yep. Uh, the, 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 the finale of Big Fish, uh, the, the sort of epicness of them taking um, the father out to the ocean to, to die in the way that he would want to die, that's the one that like really fucking gets me. That destroys me every time. Which movie freaked you out the most as a child? Ooh. Okay, so look, if I'm going to have to go with one, I will go with a movie that not enough people have seen, which is Little Monsters. Have you heard of this? No. So Little Monsters was a Fred Savage movie from the late 80s. So um, I think if you haven't seen this, Dave, you gotta, you got to grab this one immediately. You'll Straight fucking love it. It is a nightmare children's movie. Nightmare children's movie about basically uh, uh, Daniel Stern is Fred Savage's father. And Fred Savage is just a, is is quite young. It's sort of like early Wonder Years years. And he gets a imaginary friend who is not imaginary in any capacity. He's this demon who has horns and blue skin. He looks like a monster who actively comes from below his bed but they've got this like rule in this universe. So basically below every child's bed is a staircase that leads up to a secret passage to below their bed. And these demons can come up and collect these children and take them down to this like netherworld depthy hell pit. And they've got like all the funnest games in the world for the kids to hang out with. And if the kids hang out down there for too long, they have to stay and also be monsters. Um, and some of the demons and some of the monsters don't want to do that. They just want to be friends with the kids. And some of the demons in that thing are terrifying. And there's this one monster in it who is dressed like a little schoolboy, And he's clearly an adult. And he is this like, this is in like the final confrontation. And he's got like these, some of these kids like put on like a whirling pool, like sort of like a, like a twirling, uh, knife throwing wall with with a person this is attached a kid's to it. Movie because I'm this thinking, is I'm thinking Rick Baker with what you're saying right now, and that would be correct. And this is a children's movie. Um, so there's this scene at the end where like a child is attached to this thing where they're throwing knives at it and trying not to kill it. And there's this little adult dressed as a schoolboy who is like taunting them and trying to scare them. And the camera pans around the schoolboy's head and it's very clear that his face is stapled on 
Like it's like someone's face just stapled on to this gangrenous, like fucked up muscle head. Anyway, this is a children's movie from the eighties. And if you haven't seen it, little monsters is a plus. Wow. I'll definitely put it on the list. That sounds it's fucked. fucked. It's fucked. And that scared the shit out of me. Which one of your childhood properties, whether it be TV or movie, would you reboot? Other than so, getting Del Toro to do Little Monsters. <laughs> um, this one, again, is a really, really easy one for me. And from what I understand is actually happening at the moment. Um, I would, and, and probably pretty, pretty to- it, might, it might not happen now because of the current uh, climate um, and is very topical for the current climate. But I would love to see a remake of the TV movie of The Stand. Or Stephen King's The what? Stand. Yes. Yep. I think it's it's one of my favorite stories of all time. I love the book. I love the comic. I love the TV series for all its faults. Would you um, have um, McConaughey back as Randall Flagg? See, I don't really understand how they fucked that up because McConaughey was the perfect casting for Randall Flagg and that was not a good performance. Yep. Like, he didn't even act like he should have acted as Randall Flagg. McConaughey is literally the perfect person in the universe to play that character, and he didn't do it right. When I feel like it wasn't directed properly. Oh, man, when it got announced, I still had his performance in True Detective fresh in my mind. So I was right? like, there's no way this is going to miss. And then we got whatever that It wasn't was. right. It wasn't no. right. I would love... I, could, I would love... Like, I, they've already announced the casting for Randall Flagg, and it's not McConaughey, but, like, that, McConaughey shouldn't have been bad at that. that it should have been perfect. No. But um, the, the cast, they, they started doing some casting and sort of stuff, but I'm not sure what the, the update for that particular series is because obviously doing a television series about a worldwide pandemic is a little more on the nose now considering we are in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. Um, that said, it might actually in, make it more successful. Have you put in the CV for the trash can man? Uh, no, apparently Marilyn Manson has been cast as that. Oh, but he doesn't have a chin. No, he does not. Uh, I don't know how he folds towels, but it's obviously He is pretty trash, though, so... Yeah, true, true. If you could drive any movie vehicle, what would you choose? Not a big car guy, um, but maybe Christine from Christine. Yep. Nice. I think it's a 78 Plymouth. Yes. Um, yep. But I don't want to drive a 78 Plymouth. I want to drive Christine. Other than that, the only kind of cars that I'm really into are really grudgy brown and light green and cream colored normal boring cars from 70s crime flicks so from like the friends of eddie coyle and like the outfit and and kill charlie barrack and like that sort of shit any car that would appear in any of those movies that's what i'm all about that's what gives me a massive boner All right, here's the big one. If you could add your favourite fictional character to another film, who would it be and what would the film be? (laughs) So the point of this is to cause chaos. So I would love to see Beetlejuice in Jack Lemmon's character and Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross. (laughs) Nice. I was so scared you're going to put Beetlejuice in Schindler's list, but nice. Nice. No, no, no. Glenn Glary Glenn Loss is he's going to be like in a in a in a boiler room type situation. He's got the pressure on him from his bosses. He, he he's he's got a wife to support back home, but it's Beetlejuice, <laughs> and he's just got to like <laughs> he's he's taking it very seriously, crossed with 
just being Beetlejuice. The thing is, but can you imagine um, Beetlejuice coming, rocking up at your house, and being like, "I need to convince you to like (laughs) spend a lot of money on this thing." My brain instantly goes like, "Inside baseball, Michael Keaton could do it, like beyond anything." Yeah, 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 he could do it. Wow, that's gonna come up in my mind in the weirdest times. But nice. I want to see that. I want to see that movie. It would actually be a really good version of Beetlejuice and really true to the character too. So. And finally, which movie star would you turn for? Oh, that's easy. Justin Throw, one hundred percent. Him running uh, in in the TV show The Leftovers uh, late at night with his uh, uh, bulging package, just just pushing through his uh, uh, running shorts. He's a beautiful man. Also, him and your highness as the uh, sorcerer Lazar. Nah, nah. Not as sexy, but I'd still turn for it. No thought at all. I thought you'd put some time into it, but uh, (laughs) you don't have an answer. (laughs) This is a straight answer. This is so easy. All right. So now the main point of this evening is we are joined together to basically just recommend some stuff for people to check out while they're in isolation or whatever they may be doing. Just add to their scene list. Um, I decided to check with, I wanted you to come with the quality because I'll come with the filler. So I've asked (laughs) you to compile a list. We've got five each. So this is going to be a six hour episode, as you can tell. And uh, I'm going to be, as you are the guest, I think it's only fair that I go first. So my first choice. I'm really excited about your list. I've been looking into your list uh because it's actually relatively like it's a mixture of movies i have not watched for literally 20 years or movies i haven't seen and one i've never fucking heard of uh which was amazing but no i'm very excited about your list well i'm gonna start things off as if i have some quality inside of me the first film to ever make me cry i've picked clint eastwood's a perfect world starring 1990s kevin costner it was from 1992 Directed by Eastwood, he had just done Unforgiven, which he had starred in and directed, and it was touted as the greatest cowboy movie ever made. Have you seen this film? Um, no, I've not seen this film. Um, ah. This is uh, part of a long list of Clint Eastwood films I've not seen. Even just looking at uh, Clint Eastwood's filmography uh, today, it's like, shit, that's, there's, a, there's a big pile of holes in there. Looking at that list is essentially just doing a BuzzFeed quiz of uh, are you a dad from the 1990s? <laughs> there looks like a lot of Academy bait in there. Like a lot of uh, Academy uh, bait. Like, like this it's all, is, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of very important stories to tell. A Perfect World is essentially became the blueprint of please give this man an Oscar. If not, please give the director an Oscar. Like it is such Oscar bait. At a time that the world kind of wasn't, you know, we weren't as sceptical as we are now. So the story basically follows two escaped convicts that kidnap a uh, Jehovah's Witness child and take him on the road. And it's, uh, it's a, uh, I compare it in a weird way to sleepers because for every moment that you're like, oh, this has got a real fun vibe, like, you know, um, like the Sandlot or something like that then something fucking super gritty will just drop into the movie and you're like, oh, that's right. Uh, This isn't a fucking feel-good movie about, you know, a road movie about a prisoner and his new best friend that's a boy. It's it's troublesome, but I just, I don't know why. I think I've always held esteem because it was the first movie that made me cry. However, 
this movie has aged fucking really well. It makes you ask a lot of questions about the 90s though because you're like, why did everyone care so much about Kevin Costner? Because he looks like everybody's uncle ever, but at the same time, yeah. he's so charismatic. Um, but this film's made so well. The major downside I have with it is that Laura Dern and Clint Eastwood play characters in it, and they're honestly, it's they had a, they had a forty minute movie written, and they're like, oh, we need to fill out the runtime. So there's this whole B plot of um, Clint Eastwood and Laura Dern chasing the convict and the kid, and it just it could still be a movie if that part wasn't in it. Um, the bad guy is played by, well, not the bad guy, the sniper for the FBI is played by, he's Eric and Billy Madison. I'm having a mental blank. He's Eric and Billy Madison. <laughs> he's, he's the dad in Get Out. He is Bradley. Yeah, yeah Bradley Whitford. Whitford, yes. Bradley and Whitford. Anytime that he turns up, it's much like if Bruce Greenwood shows up or Kurtwood Smith shows up and you're like, Someone's a secret bad guy. I wonder who it could be. So that's my recommendation. It is sappy. It's like if um, someone spilt their Tarantino script on Driving Miss Daisy because one Lovely. moment it's, sent- it's sentimental as fuck and next minute you're like, oh, this is, this is rough. So yeah, I, find, I, find the, I find the whole 90s Kevin Costner thing still completely alien. Like, like... From this to Robin Hood to Waterworld to The Postman to JFK to, you know, like every single, even, even going back to Field of Dreams, like, like I, and I like Field of Dreams, but like that whole, and I know that, that that was late 80s, but like the whole 90s period of Kevin Costner, I was just sort of like, him? <laughs> like, I just, I just, I don't quite get him. It would be the same thing as if in the late, 90s, early 2000s, David Schwimmer became the biggest actor on earth. Like, <laughs> I don't fucking get it. What what does he bring to anything? Tin cup? Okay, cool. <laughs> I love golf's a fun idea, I guess. Oh, why don't you just um, put out another fucking baseball movie? I think, yeah, just, just, I just, he just seems like an every man to a fault. He is vanilla to a fault. Like oh, there's nothing, there's nothing exciting about Kevin Costner. I, I appreciate and I quite enjoy a lot of the movies that Kevin Costner is, is in, but not one single one of them have I gone, well, it's because of Kevin Costner. If he was a biscuit, he'd be an unsalted jazz. Like, yeah. What's your first choice? I might come out swinging. Uh, I'm going to come out with my favorite one. Um, and also because it's currently on Stan, which is weird because streaming services do not have old movies on them. Um, but probably my favorite movie in the entire universe, uh, is a movie called Sweet Smell of Success, uh, from 1957. Um, I love it because it's mean. I love it because it's ugly and it's dirty and it's kind of gross. Um, uh, it's currently on Stan, uh, so if anyone is listening to this and would like to watch this movie, I cannot stress enough to jump on that service and watch it immediately. Uh, it is from 1957, I'll, and it stars... Sorry to cut you off. I was going to say, that's alternatively, right. you could probably watch it anywhere on Earth because 
by the looks of it, it's royalty-free old people fodder. Um, crime is legal now anyway, so it's fine. <laughs> um, so it stars Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis. Um, and is directed by Alexander McKendrick, um, who also did The Lady Killers. Um, and it is set in the heart of New York City, and it is about Burt Lancaster as this guy called J.J. Hunsecker. And he is basically the equivalent to like what Perez Hilton would have been like 10 years ago. Like He is the slimiest, dirtiest gossip columnist in the city. But like that was not the same thing as it was like in 2010 in 1957. He's still like a very straight lace looking person who is very scary. And he actually controls a lot of things because like if the only power that people have in terms of publicity is the paper and he controls the paper, then he controls the publicity. If you're on his bad side, you don't get promoted. Uh, counter to that is this character called uh, Sydney, uh, who is played by Tony Curtis in easily easily fucking the best role he ever played which is a slimy slimy disgusting bottom feeding desperate man who is a publicist who has a bunch of clients and the only way that he can do his job as a publicist is to guarantee them that he can deliver good news from them through to jj hunsecker and into the newspaper but to do that he needs to basically be jj hunsecker's bitch um, so they have this really dynamic, insane relationship that JJ Hunsecker abuses as hard as humanly possible, uh, to the point that he has a sister who is hanging out with some hep cats, some jazz love and fiends who like some of that free love and free jazz that no one in the universe likes. Um, and he doesn't want that to happen anymore. So he tasks Sydney with the job of breaking that relationship up. And if he doesn't break that relationship up, he won't let Sydney feed him stories to be in the paper anymore. So he's kind of got it over on it anyway. Does this movie work on TV only if you've got mints in your mouth and a handkerchief or what's the go? <laughs> it's, you got to understand this thing's fucking dirty, man. It's gross. Like for a 1950s movie, there's nothing classy about it. Like it's filmed really fucking well, but it's, it's everything feels dirty about it. And the dialogue is so sharp. Everything that everyone says to each other is so quick and so mean and so biting. Like Aaron Sorkin wishes he fucking wrote something as, <laughs> as sharp as this movie. And this thing is like 70 years old. Like it, it, the dialogue is really, really, really modern. Um, anyway, it's one of the meanest movies I've ever encountered. Uh, it's harsh. It's brutal. I hope they never remake it. I hope they never do anything else with it because it's already perfect. Uh, it's Tony Curtis's best role. It's, it's, it's Burt Lancaster's best role. Uh, it's not anywhere near as loved as it should be because it's an ugly movie. It's just not nice. It's, yeah. it's not got a nice ending. It's not got a nice beginning. None of the characters are likable. Like it's a, it's a hard one to sort of have as like a Hollywood classic, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but as far as a noir movie, it doesn't quite fit that noir mold because it doesn't have a detective or it doesn't have a crime. It just has disgusting people being disgusting to each other. And that's it. No one goes, and that's why yeah, you see? Nope. I nope. Watched they the smoke cigarettes and they be mean to each other. Yep. I watched the trailer to this and it was so gritty I nearly fell off my penny farthing. 
<laughs> Dave, do you not like old movies? <laughs> you got it. I don't even watch Clerks that much because it's black and white. Jesus Christ. Can you please watch Sweet Spell of Success? <laughs> please. All right. All right. I'll just this one. Just this one. All right. All right. Your turn. While we're talking about purveyors of nothing but quality, let's talk about Larry Flint, specifically the film <laughs> The People versus Larry Flint. Uh, I didn't see this movie when it first came out for obvious reasons because I was 11 or something. Uh, however, I did because I was a serial poster taker from the video shop. I did have the poster of this movie up on my wall. It lasted about two weeks and then it just wasn't there anymore. Um, was the poster know. more of a hustler poster or more of a Woody Harrelson poster? It was a giant crutch shot of a beautiful naked woman with Woody Harrelson crucified on her where a vagina would be. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, that's, that so, checks yeah, out. It's, it's nothing but quality. Now, uh, it is one of my favourite the irony, The irony being that it actually is a very quality movie. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite bioflicks of all time. Um, highlights include the performance from Woody Harrelson being, uh, basically it follows uh, the hustler owner, Larry Flint, in his descent into madness. He was very anti-authoritarian and really dug his heels in and lived his whole life that way. And another highlight is Courtney Love breaking character, basically, playing so far from type as she plays a drug-addled partner of a super successful person. So that's definitely a turn for her. I love this movie, man. A very young... I would, I would, I would argue that she actually did break type from doing something good for once. So. <laughs> true, true, true. Very true. I fucking love this movie so much. Uh, and it makes me cry, much like we talked about earlier. I um I really I haven't seen uh, Larry Flint since I was a teenager. I remember watching it with my father uh, before wow. I was the age of eighteen, which really would have been a pretty interesting way to watch this movie. Um, uh, it's one of those ones where I like I, I feel like I really 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 need to revisit it, and especially because I'm actually really curious to sort of see how it stacks up because I imagine that this and Boogie Nights would have come out yes. in relatively similar years. And whilst they're somewhat different movies, they still cover some of the same territory. Yeah, well, it's, it's the glorification of pornography, which is it's what, what we do what we do, man. <laughs> like humanising humanizing the people behind pornography. Well, because they're I'd, arguments. I'd say that this is... I know it's uh, a bit of a buzzword, but it's definitely glorifying of pornographer because... Uh, it's funny to see uh, movies where there's quite opposite sides of an argument. When it's when the movie's made with a bias behind it, it's quite entertaining because it's like there's a clear-cut good guy and bad guy in this, whereas if you were to look at it on paper, I think it's much more of a grey area from beginning to end. So I love this so movie. I can't, I can't remember it, but like in in Larry Flint, do they present Larry Flint as a good person? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Like, he, his charisma and they give all the reasons he does what he does. So even when he's being questionable, they're like, oh, but there was heart behind it. This is why he did it and things like that. So it's a little bit of revisionist history, but I still love this movie. How is their attitude towards the filthy smut that is pornography. 
Well, it's good because uh, there's the famous story of um, Jerry Faultwell, I think it is, the um, head, one of the evangelist church heads, and he was the biggest proponent of what, um, well, the biggest opposition of what Larry was doing. And so Larry started skirting the like laws of libel and stuff like that by printing stories about how um, Jerry Fultwell fucked his mum in an outhouse and presenting it as satire and stuff like that. And then arguing Lovely. in court, arguing in court that it was a satire. Um, but you get the moral high ground point of view through Fultwell and you get the smart side of things through Woody Harrelson. But it's just a great movie and it's not just because it's about pornography. All right. I think I might have oh, visit that one. I have to say that at the end of all movies, I recommend pretty much. <laughs> what is your All right, next what am choice? I going with the next? Oh, God, what is my next choice? It is Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind. The Third fourth kind. kind? There's not a fourth kind. <laughs> yes, there um, is. All right, this one's a bit of a gimme. But like, look, I understand this is probably a lot of people's recommendation for one, but I can't go past it because it's my drunk movie. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure if you have a drunk movie, but I, this is my drunk movie. This is like, if I get home at one o'clock in the morning and I'm like, I'm like six or seven beers deep and I wholly intend to have at least a couple more that are in the fridge, I will almost inevitably grab Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Cara be like, hey, how was your day? What are you doing? I'm like, Close Encounters. And she's like, all right, I know, I know what's happening. Um, and we'll put on Close Lucky Encounters. She does because I, I picture a, a beset upon wife <laughs> crying and slowly lifting her shirt. <laughs> so we, went, we, put on, we put on the start of the Close Encounters and usually I last about 45 minutes so, or 30 minutes. I've, I've, I've seen the first... Uh, uh, third of uh, Close Encounters about a hundred times more than I've seen the second two thirds of it. Um, but there is so much about the first 45 minutes of Close Encounters of the Third Kind that I love more than anything in the universe and also just the whole movie at large. Um, I think it's Steven Spielberg at his high holy best, which is that Jaws Close Encounters double up when he was fresh, when he was just like loose, when the way that everybody talked to each other in it was so naturalistic and weird, uh, where he wasn't, he was confident, but he didn't quite have like a number on like what exactly he was doing. It, it just, I, I love it so much. And Richard Dreyfuss's character in it is such a piece of shit and he's not necessarily presented as a piece of shit. And, and I have plenty of arguments with people about whether he actually is a piece of shit or not. Um, but he abandons his family. And he goes 100%. and chases. He, and we set up that he clearly has a, <laughs> uh, a strong nuclear family at home and uh, it doesn't yep. matter to him. No, he abandons them for, for uh, intrigue and adventure at the end of the day. And maybe no, calling he, it he, adventure is, in, uh, is, is unfair. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a compulsion. Um, he, he abandons them to fuck a grey. Like, I like that you're trying <laughs> to say that's not what happened. <laughs> But he's going to split alien cheeks. But there is like the imagery of like him going insane in the suburbs while alien shit is happening very clearly around them. The, the, the mood and the feel and the tone of all that, the scene where he's going nuts and he's just like throwing dirt into the window and like all that sort of jazz. Like 
I live in the suburbs in Brisbane and sometimes I'll just be in a dressing gown and I'll walk out the front and stand on the driveway and be like, yeah, this is close encounters. <laughs> this is good. I can't, I can't eat mashed potatoes without thinking of this fucking movie. So it definitely I can't imagine me. anybody in eating mashed potatoes and not thinking of this movie. Like it, it's, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's a perfect science fiction movie. It's in a way that like, is not futuristic. Like, I, it's Spielberg at his best. I, 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 there's so much to love about it. I, I understand that most people have probably already seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but Jesus, holy Christ, if you have not seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, can you please go out, have a really big night on the piss in the park or something by yourself because we're in isolation? Get home at 1 a.m., six beers deep, have two more beers ready to go in the fridge, put Close Encounters of the Third Kind on. Such and a at least long watch, movie. The first, watch the first 45 minutes before you pass out. What about the next two forty-five minutes of the film? Well, you got to watch them at different periods. You, you wake up in the morning and you watch the second two-thirds. That's how I do it. Nice, but you wake up and you've got the like chanting stuck in your head, and you don't know why. Yeah, that's good. My next choice, I had never seen until just this week past. Um, I saw a review of it on. Did I just go all jumpy because I had an update try to interrupt me? Sorry. Nah, it's all good. I saw this movie for the first time last week. It had evaded me all my entire life. I remember seeing the VHS in the video store back in the day. Had never got around to seeing it. It is the comedy fantasy film Stay Tuned, starring John Ritter, um, the terrible human Jeffrey Jones. But I've got to say, man, this movie is fucking cool. For fans of the likes of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, um, I really enjoyed watching it as a movie pirate that I currently am because, like you said, crime is now legal. And I just couldn't find this film anywhere, so I downloaded it. I didn't know what it was rated. So it has a bit of that Beetlejuice vibe to it to me where you're like, at any moment this could go either super family-friendly or suddenly someone will get decapitated. It's got that real just sinister vibe. So have you seen Stay Tuned? I'd literally never heard of it before I looked at your list today it, properly. It's fucking um, insane. So the first thing that kind of sticks out at me is it like, it kind of reminds me of those Rick and Morty episodes where they watch cable. This is, it's a hundred percent interdimensional. That's what it is. It is essentially for anyone that doesn't know, John Ritter gets uh, met by the devil and the devil played by Jeffrey Jones. He is a, um, John Ritter's obsessed. He's a bit of a slob because all he does is watch TV all day. His wife played by Mindy from Mork and Mindy is sick of his shit. So she's moving out. So they have a massive fight. Now she's about to move out. Jeffrey Jones shows up and signs him up for a free trial of this brand new TV system that has 666 channels. So, uh, it's very on the nose. Um, <laughs> So he installs it and you would love it because it is such a like massive satellite dish. Like it really captures the early nineties in a beautiful way, very suburban home. Anyway, the premise is that John Ritter gets sucked into the TV and goes from channel to channel to channel. And if he can stay alive for 24 hours, he gets to go home. If he gets killed in that time, uh, his soul goes to the devil. So it's pretty much uh, so many tropes all rolled into one film. However, each channel 
is a pretty, some of them are really clever um, satires of existing properties. So he goes to like a Star Trek type thing. He ends up uh, on like a Price is Right type game show. Um, but my personal favourite is he ends up at a place called Dwayne's World. And it is Wayne's World, except everyone in the crowd is dead zombies and Wayne and Garth are zombies. And it is such a fucking bonkers movie, man. Like, I really didn't expect it. Like I say, it's very formulaic in a lot of ways now. But then it would have just been a fucking high concept. Like, you know, this is... Oh, man. Like, I watched... I watched the trailer uh, before we did this and I've already downloaded it and Sister Dakara were watching it tonight. It looks nice. insane. Like, like it, looks, it looks so shitty and horrible, but amazing. It, um, is, it is beautiful. Also, I like that uh, the extent of the effort to be a parody of Wayne's World is Dwayne's World. That's the, that's the level of effort that pornos go to. I remember well, because there was a World. Zane's World. Great. Jinx. Um, oh, man. Which I remember fucking... because the horror section was always next to the adult section. And you go and watch the horror the, the, the horror VHS and you'd be like, oh, Zane's World, huh? Yeah. All right. Oh, the flint, bo- the, flint, the flint bones. Edward Penis Hands. Edward Penis Hands. It was a glorious um, Stay Tuned looks insane. Um, I was, it's one of those things where I honestly felt like I discovered a time capsule because I'd never heard anything. It never comes up in conversation. No one has ever gone like this for me deserves a spot up with like the likes of the Goonies and shit because everyone's like, like I've never, I've never even heard of it before. So I'm just looking at like the director. So he ended up doing shitloads of really trashy action flicks so he did time cop sudden death the relic end bite of days tongue. bite your tongue i'm not you saying can't... they're bad i'm these are these are <laughs> wonderful movies but like he went from stay tuned to those four movies like that's yep. wild uh he needed to do a time travel movie about policing of time travel yeah you just got to get um, police time travel movie out of your system. You know, every director has got to do it. I hired Time Cop and watched it with my mum and dad and it opens up with Van Damme doing a naked workout and you pretty much see straight up his asshole with this low camera shot of him naked doing the splits. And Did that make that you feel fun. like you're watching a sex scene in the movie? 100%. Good. Because Good. I was jacking it at the time. But yeah, it was really yeah. creepy. Weird, but yeah, cool. Whatever works check for you out. guys. Um, <laughs> On that note, check out Stay Tuned. Great. Me, What's huh? your next one? Yeah. Well, I'm going to give a little shout out to the movie Election. No. Um, now, I understand you're not a fan of the... Uh, very fine director Alexander Payne. Uh, we can go into that in the moment. You can you can be quiet while I talk about this movie for a moment, though. Um, so, Election, uh, fucking rules. It's it's one of the coolest movies of the '90s. It's one of the most uh, uh, underloved movies of the '90s. But I think it's like it's it's got it's kind of found like this really massive cult audience over time. 
Uh, but it was a movie that at the time, uh, it was from the late nineties, uh, around the time of like American pie. Uh, and the movie was sold as like a teen movie. It had Australian band taxi ride that did like a song for it. Get said, get said, everybody, everybody. Um, yeah, um, and uh, it was sold as this like light, fun, frivolous teen movie. It's not in any capacity. Um, it's 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 a pretty dark movie. Uh, it's it's about a lot of bad people. Um, but I think one of the th- basically it's about uh, Jim McAllister, who is played by Matthew Broderick, uh, who is a teacher at uh, at a high school, and they are about to get into the thing for the high school. Uh, uh, president uh, from the students who need to run by an election. And there is this one girl called Tracy Flick who he considers to be annoying or too obnoxious or, uh, yeah, there's some other personal gripes, but basically he puts precocious. it on to Too precocious. So he puts it on to himself to make sure that she doesn't win the presidency, uh, which is a pretty strong flex for a high school teacher. Um, and it's about the fallout of what happens out of that. Yeah. It's about the fallout of what happens as a result of that. And some of the other students that, uh, want to do it. Um, it is a movie that at the time, I think people were like, lol, that's pretty funny. But now it's like, Oh, okay. It was a movie that was like 20 years ahead of its time in terms of like the me too movement in terms of like dudes just being like, Oh no, she's like, just a really loud girl and I don't want her to be successful. So I'm going to do what I can to do that. It was kind of like, it is about like toxic misogyny in a really, really ferocious way. And uh, nice guys. It's about nice guys. So, cause Jim McAllister, the teacher considers himself as even says the words, I am a really nice guy. Why do bad things happen to me? I'm a really nice guy, but then goes out of his way to destroy a teenager's life because he doesn't like the jive of her ambition. It's like <laughs> insane sociopathic behavior. And he when I get back puts to, sorry, when I get back to incel city tonight, you're going on the list. <laughs> it is. It's a movie that is kind of like the, before we even started talking about incels, it's about what an adult incel looks like. Like oh, it's, it's insane stuff. It's about like the patriarchy in a very crazy way, but it does it in a really, really beautiful, amazing, subtle way. And the whole movie kind of exists as an accident because it it, it was an MTV movie. MTV definitely did not want a smart social commentary movie. They wanted a teen movie. Uh, And they accidentally got this movie through that was smart and good and has held up for almost 25 years now and is more relevant now than ever. I will give you the benefit of the doubt and concede victory in this sense because you've already diffused my argument, which was (laughs) I was the biggest fan of the teenage booby comedy of the late 90s being the likes of American Pie, Not Another Teen Movie, all those films. I absolutely, they were my bread and butter because I was a white trash bogan from New South Wales. And um, (laughs) it was muck. They promised me that it was going to be fucking yeah they promised me it was going to be american pie but instead we essentially got american beauty light and i just it's not what i went there for and i am constantly i think i've even had this argument with you before i've never liked matthew broderick in anything ever 
So it was. So my car, my wife, car is the same way. We have the same uh, argument a lot. Uh, but again, going back to the thing, I don't think he's supposed to be a likable character in this movie. I think he's the bad guy. Oh, he's 100%. not a good person in this movie. And I only discovered this afternoon that there was an alternative ending, which I watched this afternoon, uh, where he becomes a car salesman. I don't know if you know the. Yeah, no, I've seen, I've seen that one. I don't think it's as strong an ending, but he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't deserve that ending. Um, no. It essentially ends with the, the alternative ending is Reese Witherspoon letting him off. And that's yeah, bullshit. and that's not cool. No, so that they ended up with the right ending because she doesn't even know who he is, and he's still annoyed by it, and he's still caught up by this situation, and it still judges his life, and that that is the the, the ending that that the movie deserves. But like he's he's sitting in a um in his parents' basement on dial up modem, trying to log on to Infowars. Is yeah, like where the character like is that. Known. I understand the frustration in terms of like this movie not being what the trailers promised in the nineties, but it wasn't that movie. Like obviously they were trying to capitalize on what those things were, but it 100% was not that movie. And I wanted, I, I wanted derp and it was clever. Yeah. It's, it's a clever movie. And sort of like I, uh, Alexander Payne, the director, I still think it's his best movie. He's gone on and done a bunch of other things and some of them I really, really like. And some, like, obviously he wants to treat them all very, very adult. Um, they have this sort of like... So self-serious. Uh, this very self-serious sort of like self-thing. But that said, like, I would argue that a lot of his movies still balance it with this really like childish thing. Like, I think the one you could look at... is actually really... my favourite film of his. Oh, really? I didn't really like yeah. that one. The, the, gonna, the, the whole last to... act of it threw me off. I was going to say, are you about I was going to defend Sideways. Ah, oh, nah, wrong crowd, man. We're all too derpy here for that to be defended. But I consider it a derpy movie. Like, mm. it is a derpy movie. Like, like it's about two fucking idiots. It's about two dipshits acting like assholes, doing stupid things, and trying to make their way through through life and idiot decisions and being let off because the women around them pity them i don't know like like it, it, it's almost unfair but they're not they smart them. people they enable them they do it's not actually very cool um <laughs> like i think sideways on like a surface level has that pretension of like maybe being something that's supposed to be unreachable but it's not it's about fucking idiots it's about stupid people who are <laughs> acting like assholes about tiny tiny boys being tiny boys my people I, hashtag my people <laughs> anyway, I, I love Election. I, I think it's one of the smartest movies that came out of the nineties. I think that and like Josie and the Pussycats were these two movies that came out of like the teen movies that were like way smarter than they let on. Uh yeah. and hold up really well twenty years later. But yeah, that's my oh, pitch for election. If you haven't seen it, please watch it. Nice. Uh, I'm I've gotta mention my co host Paul at every possible chance he gets uh flies the flag for the descendants. So being that he can't be here this week. I'll just put the obligatory uh, mention right there for him. <laughs> Descendants is a good movie. Again, about not very good people. So. Matthew Lillard's in it and I like him dumb. He's a D&D guy now. Nice, nice. He had That's a he really, really mopey Twitter thing a while back where he was saying he wasn't very good and he was overrated and everyone stood up for him and it was quite lovely. Ah. Uh. 
No, he um he he, run, he he's got a company where he sells Dungeons and Dragons products now, and he 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 does lots of live streams of running running D and D for people. It's very sweet. Nice. Well, I'm traveling back to the year 1973 for a movie that I'm so conflicted about because I've seen two different versions and the theatrical version I originally saw, I really enjoyed because it is High Plains Drifter from 1973, directed by and starring Clint Eastwood. I honestly, my dad made me watch all the spaghetti westerns at the time. Uh, I watched the Dollars Trilogy, all the um, Sergio Leone uh, cowboy movies. This was next on the list at some point, And I was like, oh, great. We're going to watch the same movie for the eighth time, Dad. Let's do it. However, this movie is shot differently. It looks differently. And there is a lot of argument for the main uh, gunslinger played by Clint Eastwood being a supernatural being. But anyway, I won't get too much into that. However. There is a second cut I watched last year and whew, it gets the Bechdel test and throws it into a wood chipper because right near the start of the film, Clint Eastwood rolls into town. He's the hero gunslinger and a lady starts giving him sass and doesn't want him there because he's a drifter. So he takes her into a barn and trigger warning rapes her and then the rest of the town and him shame the lady because she enjoyed it. And that is, the hero of this, that is the hero of our film, ladies and gentlemen. So in my defense, the theatrical version is the character that I think is really interesting. The story follows a gunslinger who comes to a small town called Largo. There is three bandits basically running the town. So this gunslinger antagonizes them to the point where he kills all three of them. And with that, the town say, listen, you've killed the lesser of two evils. You've killed these three bad guys. But there are three way worse guys that stay out of town because of those three guys. You've pretty much just ruined our town by getting rid of the lesser two evils because those other three guys are going to find out and they're going to come here. So the town bandy together and pay Clint Eastwood to become not the sheriff, but essentially protect the town. Um, and so we see that these three other bad guys are coming to the town of Largo and they're basically going to, you know, destroy and fucking take the power in the town. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's very political if you think about it. Um, however, um, this is when shit gets weird. Clint Eastwood gets everyone to paint the entire town, every building in this town red. Um, and there's a nightmare dream sequence and it's just such a fucking bizarre thing. And he changes all the signs in town to not say Largo, but to say hell. And because of the weird, it's almost got like a weird ambient music style, like in the score, it's not your typical cowboy movie sound. And it's such a fucking bizarre film. And it all leads down to a showdown with, the drifter and these three gunmen, but it's, it's shot at different angles than anyone's ever shot a cowboy movie. If that makes sense. Like you go in expecting like the good, the bad, the ugly. And there's all these like Dutch angles and shit like that. And it's such a different movie. And the reason I've always kind of liked it is because of how different it is. And funnily enough, when this movie was written, Clint Eastwood wanted, um, no, after this was released, sorry, 
Clint Eastwood wanted to do another Western, believe it or not. And he actually contacted John Wayne and expressed interest to work with John Wayne in the cowboy movie. He thought it'd be a great thing. Uh, and John Wayne basically sent back an angry letter telling him how wrong he was because of his revisionist version of the West and how, because this is very gritty and real. And, you know, John yeah. Wayne liked to kiss the girl, hold your hat over your chest, and that's the end of the movie. Everyone lives happily ever after. So he was so upset with this film, much like he was with Sam Pickenpaw's uh, Wild Bunch, because, you know, this is one of those cowboy movies where every shot shows a bullet hole in someone's head or a squib, shit like that. Yeah. And uh, that really upset the Duke. Poor Duke. Yeah, I know. What's he going to do? So, yeah, High Plains Drifter, theatrical version. <laughs> Um, I've never seen High Plains Drifter. I'm very keen to. Uh, the only reason I know it is I know it's Clint Eastwood's second movie he directed. Um, so it would have been his first Western that he ever did. And he did a whole bunch of them. Yes. Not starting, obviously. First one he directed. Um, which might explain the Dutch angles and might explain the creativity in terms of uh, maybe attacking a Western in a slightly different manner. Um, but I've always been really, really fascinated with um, Clint Eastwood's early films. Um, especially the first one he ever did, Play Misty for Me, which is 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 probably up there with one of my favourite movies ever, uh, just because of how fucked up and weird it is. Uh, have you ever heard of that one? No. So it's like... Um, so the, <laughs> the best description I have of it is the cable guy is a remake of this movie, basically. Wow, that sounds um, great because I've, I've brought this up a lot lately. Um, two movies in my life that I totally missed the point of, revisited and loved. First was The Cable Guy. I had no time for it. And it's now yep. perhaps my favourite Jim Carrey film. Oh, and it rules so hard. Being, I fucking love it. The second being Last Action Hero because I just wasn't ready for meta humour and now I'm <laughs> eat, sleep and breathe it. So um, it stars Clint Eastwood as a... So it's almost like we're adding another movie here. That's fine. <laughs> um, Clint Eastwood is this disc, disc jockey who um, gets caught up by this woman every night. Uh, Jessica... What's her name? Um, the mum from uh, Arrested Development? Oh, Jessica okay. Lang? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... She calls up in the middle of the night every single night and says, oh, could you play Misty for me? And it's a Misty is a song. And they end up like meeting up for like this chance meeting. And she's like, oh, you want to hang out for, for, for a coffee date? They're going to have a coffee date. It's all good. And then she just progressively gets scarier and scarier and scarier and scarier. And that's kind of just like the snowball of the movie. Um, so but like, proto, proto basic instinct. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, uh, I remember reading this thing about Cable Guy where they uh, were like, no, our, our, our template was Play Misty for me. We kind of wanted to do that, but with best friends and and see how we could roll with it. And it's a pretty scary movie. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, so it's like, I love that, like, Clint Eastwood was able to sort of, like, just, like, roll into re- directing and do really good shit immediately. Yeah. And he started early. He was, it was the early 70s. So, like, you know, he was good, the bad, and the ugly. It was, what, like, mid-60s. And by the early 70s, he was directing and he never stopped. Just to think his whole career was all pointed acting and directing to 2000 Space Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> mwah, 
Nah, <laughs> nah, he's, he's pretty. I love that movie. He's pretty. He's he's pretty kooky these days. So, uh, I haven't seen the Mule, but I have heard it opens with him having a threesome at age 116 that he is now. So I yeah. have to see it just because I've heard that. Um, Beautiful. It is back over to you. All right, um, I'm going to talk about absolutely classic film Reanimator. Um, I assume anyone who is relatively into horror flicks has seen Reanimator. It's kind of a must see. Uh, it's one that you don't really miss, uh, but it makes me so happy. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's probably a little bit more uh, comedy than than I than I tend to like my uh, action uh, sort of horror movies, but not in any sort of like really on the nose way. It's only funny because the situations that happen in it are just fucking insane. Um, but if you don't know Reanimator, Reanimator is about uh, Herbert West, a classic H.P. Lovecraft character who is effectively a mad scientist who will do anything and everything uh, to further his uh, knowledge of whatever pursuit he's currently after. Uh, there is a vanilla white bread hero character who has a girlfriend who he's got to contend with. Uh, but really you're rooting for Her- Herbert West this entire time to uh, fuck things up. And in, in this particular situation, he wants to bring uh, dead things back to life, which he's able to do and also able to do within body parts. So if a head is cut off, he can wake up the body and the head by just injecting his gro- green luminous. Uh, the secret of the ooze. Stuff, the secret of the ooze uh, into these bodies. Uh, but the movie's got this like, I find the movie really, really fascinating because it was directed by Stuart Gordon, who was R.I.P. Not a good director. Uh, <laughs> it, it was it was soundtracked by Richard Band, who was famous for directing straight to VHS movies, just absolute trash. Like everyone was involved in the movie was kind of these like B movie people, and somewhere along the line, they accidentally made a fucking wonderful movie. And I don't think they meant to do it. I think they thought they were making a sh... What do you think about From Beyond then? Because it's same wheelhouse, same director, same star. Uh, I think it's in the, I think it's in the, I think it's in the exact same boat. I think it's another happy accident. Like I like, cause like there's so much about From Beyond that's so fucking trashy. It's ridiculous. Like it's laugh out loud trashy. But like, and From Beyond has like a lot of moments that are like really, really fun. But at the end of the day, like there's these like laughably horrible bits of it, especially when everyone's trying to be sexy in it. But like in Reanimator, I think they accidentally made a perfect movie, 100% by accident, just because it was people that were really cared about the project, really, really good casting choices, really, really good music choices, even though the music is literally ripped off from Psycho. Um, may say that. Um, Amazing practical effects too. Amazing. I just, I think it's one of the rare examples of a movie that was made to be a B movie that accidentally got made to be much better than the sum of its parts. Yeah. It makes me laugh a lot. It's like someone at Troma dropped a film and it somehow warped in a way that put like a carpenter filter over the whole thing. Exactly. And it's like, how did this, how did this production value come from this shit? Just, yeah, beautiful. And again, like Stuart Gordon had like two, two accidents that were from beyond and, and reanimator. 
and he sure as shit never did again. Because That's it. I was going to say, when he passed away, I didn't see anyone talking about Castle Freak or anything like that. <laughs> it was all... no, no one was ever going to talk about Castle Freak. Yeah, it's pretty funny that. Um, and also, it gave the world Jeffrey Combs or Combs. Um, yeah. Who's fucking amazing. Uh, I love him in another. Speaking of underrated movies that no one got at the time, including myself, The Frighteners, Peter Jackson. 100%. The Frighteners. I, I, would, I probably would have included The Frighteners in my top five tonight, but like I'm 100% way with you on that one. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't think anybody got it at the time. It was released at a really awkward time in Australia because it came out a little bit after the Martin Bryant massacre, and it's a movie about a massacre. Um, but I still love that movie. I think it's uh, Peter Jackson and his most like torn bit. I've read some really, really amazing behind the scenes stuff of like The Frighteners of like how that movie happened and why it happened. It was effectively because they were in New Zealand and it was produced by Robert Zemeckis in their studio and they couldn't overwatch that movie properly. Yeah. So they, no, they effectively they had hands off on the whole thing. And you got to love like, um, they, they managed to get Michael J Fox before he pretty much turned yep. his back on acting. Um, yep. man, there's so much, the, the CGI in it is pretty fantastic. Now I decided looking through our list of films that we'd chosen that, there wasn't enough high concept, high quality science fiction. And so I did nothing whatsoever to fix it because I've picked Virtuosity. Hackers! <laughs> you mean the lawnmower man? No. Yeah. What could it be? When the director decided that he didn't do his best work of virtual reality cybercrime movie, he decided to give another crack and he made Virtuosity starring Russell Crowe and uh, Denzel Washington. Russell Crowe was an unknown quantity at the time to the point of not making it on the theatrical posters cover and his name not even making it on the front of the VHS. Let's have a little this, is post, this is post-Romper Stomper. This, this is, is pre-Gladiator. The world, this is before The Quick and the Dead made him a household name. Did it make him a household name? <laughs> In my household it did, yes. Sam Raimi directing cowboy movies is... Uh, before we get into the uh, many fine things, the many fine features of the film Virtuosity, I just want to read to you uh, a list of the movies that Denzel Washington made around the same period as the fine film Virtuosity. So, all right. Philadelphia. Malcolm X. Much Ado About Nothing. Devil in a Blue Dress. Courage Under Fire, Fallen, and The Siege. And in the middle of all of this is Virtuosity. So you've essentially just given us a graph that's shaped like a big giant inverted V because it went all up to quality of Virtuosity. Man, this movie, uh, I'm not exactly sure who saw Denzel Washington murder, but they're involved in this film because there's no other reason for him to be here. He did state in an interview at one point that he did it because his son wanted him to, because at the time, the likes of, you know, Strange Days, Existence, Lawnmower Man, all these films were touting that futuristic VR that we still haven't quite got, you know, they were promising the likes of Ready Player One VR and we're still at the level of Lawnmower Man pretty much. 
So I'm just I'm just I'm just looking at like twenty movies in a row from Denzel Washington's history around this time, and like maybe the preacher's wife is like a slight difference from the stuff that he usually does because it's kind of a comedy. Like, but like there is no trash in that list. It is like relatively dry stuff it's like some of them aren't that good some of them are okay but like they're all pretty dry movies that he did virtuosity is fucking insane (laughs) the fact he's like you know what uh cleaning up at the oscars after philadelphia you know i've (laughs) i've really got to make up for not shaking uh tom hanks hand at the start of that film so i think i'll do a goodwill by becoming a future policeman that accidentally, after his family is killed by a serial killer, accidentally kills two reporters and then gets sentenced to life in prison, at which point he volunteers to go into a VR crime-fighting training simulation. Uh, And while he's in there, they've created a SID 6.7, I think it is, which is Sadistic Intelligent whatever the D stands for. It's Hitler plus all the other bad guys. that was one of the trailer Together. I remember that. Um, I did have to laugh because when I was doing a little bit of a recap, I was watching on YouTube a few of the different scenes and there's a bit where they're talking about Sid's personalities and it had a list of all the serial killers they joined together to create him. And the one on the list that cracked me up was right up the top, David Koresh's name is one of the names of the personalities <laughs> he has. And I'm like, uh mm. Yeah, I don't know that he would bring much to the the Sid soup, really. Um, I love that uh, Russell Crowe has a lot of fun in this movie. Uh, I like Russell Crowe a lot better when he's having fun in movies and not being super self-serious. And this is obviously he's a baby in this movie. When he wants to be there. Yeah, this is baby Russ. Um, he, I don't think the suit he wears in Virtuosity would fit him as a sleeve nowadays. And that's not body shaming. <laughs> Fucking, fucking Rusty Crow. Just Rusty Crow, mate. Listen to me, band. Uh, 30 odd food and grunt. No, um, did you hear that they changed their name? And because uh, something God the of fucking ordinary something. Fear of God because cool. Very cool. Had the letters on it. I just Very wish, cool. I just wish they were around to like release uh like. Remember when, like, science fiction in the 90s did all those crossover, like, fucking try-hard drum and bass tracks? Like, yeah. imagine imagine a 30-odd foot of Grunt Aphex Twin collab for this movie. Like, that would be legendary. Do you reckon uh, Rusty Crow's band has ever played on the field at the Rabbitohs Stadium? 100%. 100%. That'd be pretty, that'd be, that'd be pretty sick. I'd be, I'd be up for that. I've heard so many good stories about people, like, just hitchhiking uh, near Coffs Harbour and just being picked up by Russell Crowe. And then just like, he just takes him back to his house and he's just like, come check out my shit, have a good time with me and then puts them on their merry way. Wow. Like Russell Crowe might actually be an insane person. He might actually be an Australian treasure. He's an idiot. He's very weird, but he's made some really good movies. He's uh, New Zealand's most successful Australian. Exactly. Coffs, I don't think Australia can lay claim to him. I think Coffs Harbour owns him. <laughs> That's I it. think the big but the big the big banana and the pet porpoise pool now own Russell Crowe. I can't think what made him I think LA Confidential made him a little bit of a household name. Yeah, that was it was like 
That was, was like ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. I think I think Gladiator. Gladiator was the big one because he was like, he was kind of like plucked out of like obscurity, except it wasn't obscurity in any capacity, um, and just never stopped from Gladiator. So nice. now he's seven times the size that he was, but all <laughs> the better for it. There's a few extra S's in Russell now because he's just yeah. a bit he's, he's 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 entering his Orson Welles late period. Oh, 100%. Um, he could, and taking uh, the same roles, taking the same roles that Orson Welles would have taken too. So. Hey, late stage Brando in the making. Yes, exactly. He's got the temperament too, so that'd be good. Yep. What the is temperament your... and the weight, so. <laughs> That's it. What is your final choice on this wonderful list this evening? Uh, probably the movie I've seen most in my life. It's 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 a bit of an obvious one for a lot of people, but it means the world to me. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, I will never ever 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 get sick of what an insane movie that is. It the movie shouldn't have existed, but it did. They somehow got it made. The movie could never be made again, ever. It's just it just couldn't happen. Um, but it happened at a special point in time, and they did it the best that they could ever possibly do it. So. Uh, basically Robert Zemeckis, uh, in the middle of doing a lot of good shit after he's done his back to the future movies, um, before death becomes her before, before Forrest Gump, uh, at the end of the eighties, he does who framed Roger Rabbit with the support of a lot of Hollywood clout. Like there was, I think he had to be, there was so many rules had to be bent just for the, the characters that ended up in this. Film. Yeah. Like, like he, he had the support of Spielberg. He had the support of Walter Hill. All of them were working together on a couple of shows around the time. Like they were all doing like tales from the crypt together and, and, and helping each other with like amazing stories. So I think a lot of them were sort of just like, they had this like little crew of like Hollywood clout that would all help each other at the time. And I think basically Zemeckis had the power of these amazing directors behind him to say, no, 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 this is going to happen. And it all, it was another one of those like weird accidents where basically they managed to get the thing that could never happen anymore over the line, which is negotiating how to get all the Disney characters and the Warner brothers characters effectively, like all the DC and Marvel characters in the one movie. Like if Superman was fighting, you know, Wolverine, like which would never happen in a movie and they made it, they did it. And not even that, they had the Fleischer characters in there as well because they had Betty Boop in there. Yeah. Um, So there's, this film, uh, I recently found down a rabbit hole on YouTube and I know that we've had this argument before many a times on social media. I'm the Space Jam guy. Each to its own. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. A, if a uh, fan of Roger Rabbit gets the holy trinity of like a bad childhood, a bump on the head, <laughs> and, uh, all these things, they become a Space Jam fan. Uh, however, I fell down the rabbit hole of the conspiracy that Lola Bunny is the daughter of Roger and Jessica Rabbit. And <laughs> it was fucking amazing. I was very receptive at the time at like three o'clock in the morning on YouTube, waiting for another episode of Kenny versus Spenny to autoplay and somehow fell down the Which, hole. Kenny versus Spenny is the perfect show. So It is. It is. Uh, isolation saviour in our family. Man. You're definitely inspiring me to watch watch it again. I've seen every episode, uh, yeah. but I, I, I and I've definitely forced Kara to watch the Squid episode before, so <laughs> I need to revisit it. I've actually been banned on the radio version of DVG of bringing it up again, so. <laughs> and that was before isolation. So, man, 
Who Framed Roger Rabbit is an absolute classic. Like you said, so many moving parts. Uh, it has all the makings of uh, late 80s and early 90s, all those childhood movies where there's also the upsetting scenes like um, Judge Doom was fucking terrifying for me growing up. Terrifying. Uh, you get uh, the opening scene of Bob Hoskins giving smokes to kids on the front of a, a train car. Which yeah. My children were just like, that just didn't compute in so many ways. Uh, it's obviously film noir, your favorite style of fucking film, and it's done. Oh, like, like, well. and, not, and not and not only that, it's a perfect noir film. Like like it 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 doesn't do it half assed as well. It's like it's it's got a lot to owe to probably Chinatown uh, as yeah. well as like the nineteen forties ones a lot because like Judge Doom's big thing at the end of it is a really boring like monotonous thing. Very very similar sort of like the ending to a lot of like classic uh, noir films, like LA noir films and um and Chinatown, which is just, just like it's someone's doing some bullshit because of I don't know, some dumb construction project or something. And that's what like just ends up being the MacGuffin that turns the wheels for all these people to be horrible to each other. But I love that Bob Hoskins just plays the thing so fucking straight. Just so straight. It's like it's like Michael Caine in the Muppet uh, Muppet Christmas Carol as yes. well. Like he might as well have been playing Shakespeare in that movie, except he's talking to a bunch of cartoons, um, and and I love that he's genuinely horny and intimidated by Jessica Rabbit. And why wouldn't you be? Um, yeah. I love that he's able to sort of like purvey this beautiful like care and annoyance by everything around him. I love that he exists in a universe that just irritates him. And and he's able to show that in such a genuine character-filled way. Everything about the movie is so well thought out, so perfect. The special effects as well, like, are really, really, really practical. Despite and it was the last movie done by Charles Fly, uh, Charles Fleischer. Uh, sorry, sorry, Richard Williams. Sorry, um, yeah. Richard Williams, who was um, uh, an animating uh, giant uh, in terms of like hand-drawn special animation. Basically, wrote the rule book on 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 good quality animation. Um, and uh, Roger many, Rabbit himself is this really beautiful, well thought out character that is irritating without actually being genuinely irritating and hasn't been bastardized with like seven sequels or like a reinvention, which they never ever need to do. They should just leave it alone at this point. Please, for the love of fucking God, just never do anything with it. Just leave it alone. How good would it be if that crossover happened that you pitched at the start of the episode happened? And we get to see Brad Pitt's Cool World character get killed in the opening. <laughs> that would be amazing. Would be cool World. What a, what a, what a movie. So I think um, everyone, everyone that's now heard you talk about uh, Roger Rabbit, uh, I think the question is, what is your username on the Slash Fiction websites for Jessica Rabbit? <laughs> well, it have to be my Instagram handle. It might have to be the same as my Instagram handle, which is Toontown Express. Nice. Nice. Man, that is a very well-rounded list. I hope you lost a lot of sleep coming up with that because it, uh, it's a very good barometer of the uh, duality of your personality, to put it nicely. I've, done, it's, I've lost a lot of sleep over that, but I'm also preparing for doing a two-bit movie club uh, stream tomorrow night where we're doing three hours of movie score music, and that has fucking killed me. That has really killed me. Can I put out... Uh, I know it's probably not... It's not film snobby enough for you, but Hans Zimmer's main theme of Broken Arrow is life change. I would argue that I'm not that film snobby, uh, but also, yeah, fucking great one. Then if it exists on vinyl, but uh, it was, it was reused. It. 
it was reused in the seminal classic from 2002, Scream 2. Really? It becomes Dewey's theme in Scream 2, so get on it. That's amazing. A lot of John Carpenter making that list, I'm hoping and assuming. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's some They Live, there's Halloween, there's... Um, Did the Coupe de Ville get a run? The Fog. No, they're not quite. Um, but The Fog, uh, so we got some John Carpenters in there, which is good. Um, no, lots of good shit. Lots of good shit. Awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us on DVG. Give us your social media and your credit card number. No worries. Um, uh, you can follow Netherworld, uh, uh, Netherworld on Facebook or Netherworld Arcade on Instagram. Um, or you can follow me uh, via Ben Jungles on Twitter or Toontown Express on Instagram. Uh, if you want to see more of the movie stuff that we're doing, uh, you can join the 2-Bit Movie Club Facebook group where we talk about lots of fun things. And uh, yeah, we, 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 we try, we're trying to sort of like keep some pretty regular events happening with 2-Bit Movie Club. The last big one that we did before all this went to hell was we did a uh, rowdy screening of Cats at the cinema uh, in which we had 200 people in a theatre literally screaming, screaming at the movie for two hours straight. It was pretty wild. Nice. Um, my future dream would be when the world reopens and the wounds heal that I make it up for a two-bit movie club and I curate an evening. I will do anything it takes just to play Freaks. Just to have a double bill where I just play Freaks twice. We've already done Freaked, but oh. I would do it twice. Because it's it's better the second time round, especially if it's straight after the first time. As a complete side tangent, there were toys they made for Freaked and I've oh. been trying to bust my ass trying to find some on eBay for years. But apparently they never really properly made it to market. So at some point there is there is genuinely like of all the weird freaks in it, there's a toy of them. I will find them one day, Dave. We will find fucking them. Amazing. I hope it's just a line of white socks. <laughs> freaked is the best. Uh, on that note, Alex Winters, he's coming back to us. Like back. uh it's, it's, he's coming back and I couldn't be happier for him because he's a beautiful man and he needs more money. And more than anything, I don't give a shit how good the new Bill and Ted movie is. I just want Alex Winters to have a big paycheck. That's it. I hope that Keanu Reeves has taken basically no paycheck for this so that Alex Winters can get a shitload of money. And I'm 100%. probably sure he does. I would happily give him a shitload of money that I will source if he was to give me his Lost Boys uh, leather patchwork jacket. <laughs> dude, I'm glad we're all so in agreement that Alex Winters deserves a lot of money. That's it. So thank you so much for joining. This has been DVG. No worries. Thanks, man. Catch you later.